Well, uh, are, your, are your inboxes like packed full with, you got one more week, right? You know, and telling you how you got to buy this and that and all that stuff. It's all, I know I keep getting these things and um, I, I hope you're getting close. I hope you're not overwhelmed. But we, we, we get there, don't we? We feel a little overwhelmed. Some of y'all today are not going to be able to listen well because you're thinking about where you got to be this week, what you got to do, and you've only got a few days to do it, and it's kind of stressing you out. We understand. It's just kind of the way it is. Sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by the expectations of, of Advent, of Christmas, whether that's at work, we got to get it done before we go on vacation, or we've got to be at five people's houses in the next two, next two days. How are we going to do that? And we got to get this present, and all, all that kind of stuff can become overwhelming. And so it can come from work, it can come from family, it can come from the church, social commitments, all those things. So a lot of us are needing the peace and quiet of a nice, structured jail cell. You're like, what? Well, a guy named C.J. Green wrote a piece in a blog called the Mockingbird blog called A Peaceful Prison. This is a true story. Someone came up with this. It's a story about a mock prison where inmates will pay $90 to spend 24 or 48 hours in a solitary confinement away from all phones, all clocks, and people. And uh, one of the photographers that went in there and actually took some, uh, some, photog- uh, some photographs of what was going on there shows inmates meditating and resting. And as before they go into their cell, they have to drop their cell phone in a basket and they don't get it back the whole time. Um, and the photographer said, don't know what this says about me, but it all looks pretty wonderful. I'm like, wonderful? Why would anybody want to be in a jail cell? But the facility is called the prison inside me, and the name seems telling that the self could be such a prison that we might need to utterly lock down in an actual prison in order to get some rest. Do you ever feel like that? And so one, one uh, participant said, I was too busy as she sat in the 54-square-foot cell. I shouldn't be here right now. I have so much to do. There's so much at work I need to do. But I decided to pause and look back at myself for a better life going forward. So when you agree to do this, clients get a blue prison uniform. They get a yoga mat. They get a tea set, a pen, and a notebook. And you sleep on the floor, and there's a small toilet inside the room, but no mirror. And the menu includes steamed sweet potato and banana shake for dinner and rice porridge for breakfast. Mmm. And co-founder said that the mock prison was inspired by her husband, a prosecutor who often put in 100-hour work weeks. And he said he would rather go into solitary confinement for a week to take a rest and feel better, she said. And that was the beginning. And some customers are wary of spending 24 to 48 hours in a prison cell until they try it. After a stay in the prison, people say this. This is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to. Now, some of you may identify with that today. Just the, the, the nonstop pressure on trying to get things done and making everybody happy and doing all that can take away our peace. So that may even sound good to you today. Say, sign me up. I'm ready to go. So you might be feeling a little overwhelmed about Christmas, and but I don't think God intends us to feel that way, do y'all? I really don't think during Advent God wants us to feel that kind of pressure and, and, and uh, overwhelmedness in order to do all these things about Christmas. We're supposed to be still and know that He's God. Well, we've looked at hope and and love and joy over the past few weeks of this season of Advent, 
And on this fourth Sunday, we're going to focus, as uh, Gavin told us, on the theme of peace today. And we want to look at that. And the night of the arrival of Jesus Christ into the world, Luke tells us that a, a great company of heavenly hosts, along with the angel that brought the message to the shepherd, says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, that peace was for Mary and Joseph because obviously God's favor rested on them, right? They, they felt that peace. Certainly the shepherds felt that peace. It rested on them because they were a part of Jesus' birth in that story that we continue to read year after year. And probably on the wise men, although they weren't there that night, they were in, in route to eventually see this newborn king. And I believe God's favor of peace rested on them as they made their journey. They were part of the story. But what about you this morning? What about me this morning? How do we feel? How do we feel about God's peace on earth, goodwill to men? Are you feeling it right now? Well, God, God's favor does, does rest on us if we will allow it and bring peace to our lives. But you might not be feeling it. And for some of us, peace may seem like this concept that's not really a reality. It's something we say. It's something we write poetry about. It's something we write songs about. But it really isn't real. Or at least it's not around long enough to any of us have experienced that long term. We might get a few minutes of peace here. A few minutes of peace for a few hours or maybe a week on vacation, maybe. But by the time you really feel peace on vacation, what time is it? Pack up the car, we got to go home, right? And we don't really experience that in any long-term way. And there will always be, some of us think, there will always be some person or some group of persons who will produce some sort of a conflict or tension within our lives. And sometimes we just live in this state of an expectation or an anticipation of conflict coming. I do that sometimes. We get into a mindset, it's not if this conflict is coming, it's just when it's coming. And we kind of live like that. And if that's your attitude towards peace in your life today, don't feel bad. But I think God understands how you feel more than anybody else. Because He knows you don't want to, you don't want to feel that way, that I don't want to feel that way. And so the message today is not to try to convince you that you ought to be ashamed of yourself for not having peace during Jesus' birthday. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. But rather, the message is to try to encourage us that regardless of what you're going through in this season of your life, and all of us are going through something in this season of our life, aren't we? All of us. It's different for all of us because it's a different season, a different time for us, but we're all going through something, and, and God understands that. And he wants us to experience, I believe, what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. May the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He knows that some of our hearts and our minds have not been guarded, and we feel overwhelmed. And he wants us to feel that real peace that only Jesus brings. Well, you know, Jesus was born in a time that wasn't exactly peaceful, and that's exactly why I think God brought him into the time of history that he did. At just the right time, the scripture tells us. He would be the prince of peace, but that peace that he brought was not of political or military type. And as I speak, we think about around the world, we think about some of those things that are going on right now, and somebody thinks if just this group will back off, that would bring peace. I think about what's going on in Ethiopia and on the border of Russia and Ukraine and other places of the world right now where people are thinking it's about military. But you know what? There's some 
amazing Christians in, in those places that have peace, even in spite of this unrest that's going on in their midst. Well, the prophet Micah, I don't know how many of y'all have read the book of Micah. Don't nod your head, just probably going, I don't even know where that is. Micah's an Old Testament prophet. And we think about a lot of times during this time of year, Isaiah, because Isaiah is the one that has a much longer book of prophecy in the Old Testament. And we quote from Isaiah a lot during Christmas. He, he is quoted more than anybody else in the New Testament from the Old Testament. But Micah is also was a prophet that was a contemporary of, of Isaiah. And he prophesied to Jew of the southern kingdom during a very dark time in their history. They had just seen, after civil war for years and years, the northern kingdom of Israel get completely devastated and taken over by their enemy, the Assyrians. And so Micah's job was to go in and say, You're next. You're next, Judah. If you don't change your ways and get back and repent and return to God, this is going to happen to you. You're going to experience the same thing that the northern kingdom did. And God spoke through Micah, giving them an alternative hope for the future. And I say this a lot, but I always want people to understand this. When we read about the judgment in the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament, it's always, 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 did I say always enough? Followed by alternative hope for the future, because that's what God always wants. Not this destruction that has to come, not this punishment that has to come, but He wants this alternative restoration and hope for the future to be back with him. Desperately, he wants that. But God spoke, spoke through Micah, giving them an alternative hope for the future. So we're going to read from um, Micah today, chapter 5, verses, uh, I think it's 2 through 5. Thank you all for having that. But listen to what it says. But you, Bethlehem, Epathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time she, when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. He will be our peace. Do you see that Micah was prophesying about Jesus' arrival? Do you see that in there? Can you hear that? But I want us to understand something. It's not just Jesus' first coming that Micah was telling about. Jesus would come as a baby and grow into a man and go to that cross and resurrect from that tomb. But also he is predicting, and this is something I think we miss sometimes during Christmas or even during our, our daily lives after Christmas, is that Jesus is coming again, y'all. He has promised that. Just as he promised he would come into the world the first time, he will come back. And when he comes back the second time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That's going to happen. Now, I know some people are like, yeah, I wish he'd hurry up and come today. And some of us are going, wait a minute, can we wait till after Christmas? Because i got some really cool stuff coming. And I get that. I get that mentality. But make no mistake, Jesus will come back. And in the time of Jesus, when he came, that world, those, there were people anticipating that, when's the Savior coming? And when we think about things, like I mentioned, like in, in Ethiopia and Ukraine, and even in our own country, maybe in some things that are going on in our own lives, we go, man, do something, God. But God has done something. He has done something, and he's given us the power to do more if we will really 
come to him and allow him to be our peace. And did you see that Micah was prophesying not only about Jesus the first and second time, but he says he'll be from Bethlehem to be ruler, to be shepherd in the majesty of the name of the Lord. And the people will live securely. His name will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. Not a nation, not a ruler, not a human ruler, not something, but he, Jesus, will be our peace. And Michael was saying that true peace comes through relationship with God the Father. And that relationship would be restored through Jesus. And when Jesus came, that is exactly what he demonstrated. He said, I and the Father are one. And Jesus came and showed through his teaching, in his actions, in his miracles, that he did come to bring that peace. And no one, he said, comes to the Father except through me. No other person, no other religion, no one can come. No other faith, you can't come to the Father except through me. And that was exclusive, but truth, by definition, is exclusive. And so because that peace with God cannot be obtained through our efforts or through any other way except through Jesus, we need a Savior. He is here. He is our peace. And what is peace? My favorite definition, and I read this last year, I went back and looked at my sermon from last year, and I said, I read this last year, but I'm going to read it again because it's so good. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. That's the definition of peace. I'm going to read it again. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. That's peace. And you're going, yeah, I don't got that. (laughs) I don't either. I wish I did, but I want to have that. And so this time of year reminds me that I can have that. You would probably notice in Micah that the text, there was a reference to Bethlehem. Out of you will come... For me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And God consistently, throughout Scripture, used and uses people, places, and things that the world would reject and say are nothing. They're not significant and ignore them to accomplish His purposes. He's always done that. Bethlehem was one of those places God would use to bring about the Savior of the world. In my eyes... In marketing in our 21st century, I would say, why didn't you go to Jerusalem? Why didn't you go to Rome and bring Jesus? That would have been a much bigger splash, God. But that's not how God works. This seemingly insignificant little town, Bethlehem. Who was from there? Who else was from there besides Jesus? Anybody know? David, thank you, okay? If you remember David. But even before David, there was a lady who grew up not Jewish, but she met a man... And married a man from Bethlehem. Her name was Ruth. Remember that story? It's a fascinating book. And if somebody's here today and you've never read Ruth, I hope this piques your interest and you'll go read it because it's a fascinating and awesome story. But Ruth would become the great-grandmother of the greatest king of Israel, David. And it was all about God's using insignificant people that we would have never picked. And Ruth was one of those amazing people. And David, if you remember... Uh, After Saul's fall, Samuel was sent to a guy named Jesse who had these strong sons. And out of those sons, you're going to have your new king. And so Samuel went and he starts to anoint and he's looking around all the sons and he goes, is this it? Is this everybody you have, Jesse? He goes, yeah, well, we got David, but he's just, you know, he's the young shepherd boy out. And you don't, surely you don't mean him. Yeah, bring him in here. And he was the one. 
He was the one. That's the way God has always worked. Even his family didn't think he would be chosen, but chosen he was. And from where? Do you know where Jesse and his boys lived? In Bethlehem. It was a significant place. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus would eventually say, as he came into the world, I am what? The bread of life. From Bethlehem. Brian Lowry was a a student who got to go to Israel, to Jerusalem to study during the summer and actually walk in all the places that Jesus got to walk. And as a seminary student, that was very inspiring. But he says this in writing in the Christian Standard a few years ago. He says, for reasons I can't quite remember, perhaps the guidebooks or maybe even our guide himself told us that going to Bethlehem, don't get too worked up about it. It's not that big of a deal. I wasn't excited to visit the birthplace of Christ. I recall wishing we could spend our time in Jerusalem. I want to spend a lot more time in Jerusalem, but I didn't have a choice. If our whole group was going to Bethlehem, I had to go with them because it was a, a trip we were all going together on. He says, we walked through the dusty streets of the town and soon came to the entrance to the church of the Nativity. Now keep in mind, this is in the middle of the summer, not during Christmas time. And we stood in line for what seemed like hours, winding our way downward into a series of caves, though we often have nativity sets of barns and stables, Christ was actually born in a cave. Once there, I was hushed by the holiness of it all. There were candles lit there and here and everywhere. Hundreds were on their knees in prayer, scattered about on the cold, damp floor. We made our way to the traditional cave of the birth where we read Matthew's story once again. And soon we were singing, O holy night, O little town of Bethlehem, and silent night. Again, in the middle of summer. Right there in a church building that has been ravaged by war and terrorism and today is owned by four different religious groups, we prayed for peace. We offered a continued invitation for shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. It was one of the more sacred moments of my life. As we left, I passed by all the pilgrims yet again. Some were from Germany, Poland, or Italy. Others from England, Spain, or China. They too sang and prayed. Anger and violence wrestled about in all of our worlds, but in that moment we had all come together in Bethlehem to worship and celebrate the Prince of Peace, who, if anything, was working shalom into the folds of our lives as he will until the day he returns to work it into all things once and for all. And the guy didn't even want to go. (laughs) And he's glad he went. And so this Advent, maybe we too have come to the season And uh, Matt mentioned that sometimes this season is hard. Some of us maybe have lost a loved one recently or had something really difficult happen to us this year or is happening to us right now, and it's hard to get into the mood of Christmas. And we can have this attitude of not necessarily wanting something whose origins are from old or from ancient times. Maybe something big and significant. That's our world now. Put it on TikTok. Everybody needs to see it. It's got to be big and bold and new and significant. And yet the arrival of Jesus reminds us that true peace comes from seemingly insignificant places and people. Humbly serving, patiently waiting for his peace to come. And yet as we hear the story again and revisit that holy night, we too, may we too, Be humble like the shepherds and reminded of the peace we really need in our lives that truly can guard our hearts and our minds in this tough world we live in. And Jesus offers us today that same peace he promised his disciples. And I'm going to read 
um, from John's Gospel, uh, I believe it's chapter 14, verses 23. We're going to look at that. Thank you for having that up there. Listen to what Jesus said right before he goes to the cross to his disciples because they're, they're overwhelmed, y'all. Like, what is he talking about? We've been winning for three years. He's come to be the Messiah, to be the Savior. Something big's going to happen politically and militarily soon, we know. And Jesus is going, no, actually, I'm going to the cross tomorrow. What? And this is what Jesus said. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then Jesus says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, it took them a while to get that peace, didn't it, y'all? Right after this, they didn't have it. The next day, they certainly didn't have it. After Jesus was killed, they still didn't have it. Not till they saw the resurrected Lord did they have that peace. And when they had that peace, they changed the world. We're sitting here today because that peace changed their hearts and has changed the world. And so today, maybe you need to be assured of your salvation today and experience that peace that Jesus gives because He is our peace. So this morning at this time, we're going to go into a time of communion. But I always like to offer at this time an invitation. Maybe someone does. You've heard about what I'm talking about. Maybe you're wrestling with that. And you know you need to have that peace. You want that peace. But it's kind of scary. God understands that. We understand that. But we want to give the opportunity. If you need to make that decision and name Jesus your Lord, your Prince of Peace, you can do that. Surrender your life to Him and be baptized into Him and start a new life. And what better time to do that than this time of year when we celebrate His birth. So we're going to give that invitation. But our, our praise uh, worship team is coming up and they're going to lead us in a song. And if you have a decision to make, I'll be right here try to walk you through it. But we're also, for the rest of us who maybe already have made that decision and Christ is our peace, we're going to take some time to reflect on what Jesus asked us to reflect on and that's his life and his death and his resurrection. And he asked us to do that in a simple way through something we call communion. And we invite all believers here today, if you're not a member of our church, that's okay. If you're a believer, we invite you to be a part of this. But we remember it in, in what's called communion or the Lord's Supper. And hopefully you got that when you came in today. If you didn't, you can sneak out and get you a little bag. And, but we take that little piece of bread because Jesus asked us to remember, this is my body which was given for you. And take this cup of juice or wine that represents my blood that will be shed for you as the sacrificial lamb to save the whole world and bring us back into relationship with God. And so we want to celebrate and reflect on that this morning as the band leads us.